Welcome to the American Meteorological Society's podcast series, Clear Skies Ahead, conversations about careers in meteorology and beyond. I'm Kelly Savoy, and I'm here with Rex Horner, and we'll be your hosts. We're excited to give you the opportunity to step into the shoes of an expert working in weather, water, and climate sciences. We're happy to introduce today's guest, Kevin Petty, Vice President of Weather and Earth Intelligence at Spire in Boulder, Colorado. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Well, Kevin, could you tell us a little bit about your educational background and how that sparked your interest in meteorology? Absolutely. Well, I um, I was not one of those people who saw a tornado when I was five years old and got interested in meteorology. In, in fact, that came later uh, in life for me. Um, as an undergrad, I studied mathematics, secondary education. And after my undergrad degree, I started to teach high school. And when I taught high school, I taught uh, geography as well because I had a, a minor uh, in geography and I taught physical geography. And it was within that context of teaching physical geography that I really got interested in weather. Uh, and as a teacher, at that point in my career, uh, I made roughly $18,000 a year. And I thought, you know, I'd like to make a little bit more money than this. And as a teacher, to do that, you will generally go back to school and you'll work on your master's degree and, and earn more credit. And that will boost you up on the pay scale. I like to do things all at one time. So I ended up uh, going to graduate school and just went full time at Ohio State University. And it was there that I got a master's degree and a PhD in meteorology. Uh, so that's a little bit about my educational background. And it gives you a bit of a taste of how I got interested in this area. Thanks, Kevin. I have a couple follow up questions for you on that story you told, which was a beautiful summary, but I want to dig into a little bit of the details. So first, can you let me know, um, 18,000, was that livable at the time? It was livable as a single individual in the Midwest. <laughs> okay. So because obviously pri- inflation and prices have changed. So I just wanted to put yeah. that number into perspective for our listeners. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that was a while ago. <laughs> obviously. So, so, okay. So it was livable, but it wasn't ideal uh, for meeting some financial goals. And I, I just wanted to comment as well. I can see you came from a STEM background um, with your interest in mathematics going into undergrad. So it's nice to see some of those you had some of those underpinnings that led you towards uh, meteorology. Can you remind me, is geography considered a social science or um, is that more under the STEM umbrella? That's a great question. I think a lot of times people will consider it more of a social science. Uh, there's, a, there's a human geography aspect, but then there's also a physical geography aspect. Um, but I think generally people put it under that social umbrella. Yeah, I think like some schools, it's kind of similar to a psychology degree where you can either get a BS or a BA in it. And um, there are some universities that have geography under the sciences, you know, depending on the school. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and in fact, 
Um, the program that I went to at Ohio State University was an atmospheric science program uh, nested in the geography department. So you you mentioned that you started off teaching and then you went back to school. Um, when you went back to school, did you were you also teaching at the same time, or did you decide to take some time off um, from working and just concentrate on your studies? Yeah, I, I totally left teaching to go to grad school. Like like I mentioned previously, I like to do things all at one time, and I like to focus and not have too many distractions. And so I was uh, lucky in that I applied to a number of uh, different schools, and I got a fellowship to go to Ohio State University. And that really allowed me just to put my head down and, and focus on atmospheric science. And so once you received your degree, um, how did your career path end you at Spire? Oh, well, that's a, it's kind of a long path, if you will. But um, my intent was to go back to teach. Uh, but when I was in grad school, I did the master's degree and I was so excited about this atmospheric science stuff and meteorology that I just decided to go on and do the PhD. And after finishing that degree, my advisor encouraged me to go on and do a postdoc. So after my PhD, I started as a postdoc at the National Center for Atmospheric Research and transitioned to, from a postdoc to a project scientist there. And there was a point in my career where I left NCAR. I followed my wife to take a job in Washington, D.C. And when I was in Washington, D.C., I worked for the National Transportation Safety Board. Um, and during that time, we, we had our first child. And my wife, who was climbing kind of the corporate ladder at that point, said, you know what? I'm no longer interested in climbing the corporate ladder. Um, we have our, our first child, and I want to spend, spend time with her. She said, hey, we can move back to Colorado. And so I went back to NCAR and, and worked for NCAR for a second time. But then I started to develop my own interest in the private sector and how do you take science and put it together with business and really have an impact on the world. And so I left NCAR for a second time and uh, ended up in the private sector, worked for Weisla, then also worked for the weather company, which is part of IBM now and then came to Spire about six months ago, in fact. So Kevin, I really appreciate how you were able to both ask and answer some of the questions that I had on my mind with how do you combine the science with the business side of the private sector, which obviously has um, a profit motivation in a different way. So digging into your first job in the private sector, I understand you may not be able to discuss it in full, but I'd love to speak generally about what it means to develop and execute a technology strategy, which you mention as one of your key accomplishments or activities at Vaisala. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just developing a, a strategy overall, uh, whether it be business strategy or technology strategy in the in the private sector, those two a lot of times go hand in hand. For me, I had to I had to broaden my perspective a bit when I went to Vaisla. And specifically, I really had to think 
even more so about that end user and trying to understand the market around that end user or markets, plural. And as a part of that technology strategy, spent a lot of time looking at where are there gaps in the market? What are the needs and what are those requirements? And then what are the technologies that we need to develop in order to fill those gaps and, and to meet those needs and meet those requirements? So there's this really strong synergy uh, between the technology that you're capable of developing and what's happening in the marketplace and trying to look beyond what's happening right now into the future and understand where those gaps are going to be and then time things in such a way that as you develop your technology, you're able to release products and services that meet those needs and requirements. Thanks. That's a wonderful summary of, of what it means to develop a technology strategy. And you also dug into what I was interested in about how uh, some skills and experience is transferable from your career at NCAR uh, and within the government and in academia into the private sector. And you were talking about the end user and the market and the needs that exist, the gaps that, that you can find. And those things seem pretty applicable both in the public and the private sector. Is that a fair point to make or would you make it differently about how you would transfer your skills and experience? Yeah, absolutely. Many of those um, skills are transferable. Um, there are some skills that are a little bit more difficult to translate. For example, as in one of your questions, I think that you brought up earlier, you talked about, hey, what's the motivation in the, in the private sector. And one aspect about that motivation is that there is a need to generate revenue and there is a need to carry staff under that revenue. And you do want to make a profit. So you're thinking as you're putting together different strategies, including technology strategy, has to factor those things into account. And you really need to develop the skills to think differently than maybe an academic setting and making sure that as you develop those skills, you're applying those skills in a way that benefit the company. And speaking of the private sector, you mentioned you know gaps in the industry, and I know lots of students um, are still pretty focused on broadcast meteorology and the National Weather Service for careers. And how do you see the future job market for careers in the private sector? I'm it sounds to me like it's it's growing, and I know that the AMS is really working with professors to try to get students the skills needed for the private sector. So uh, how do you feel the job market is? Are students going to be able to find jobs when they graduate? Yes, they will be. Uh, the, the private sector continues to grow in such diverse ways, not just in core aspects of meteorology, but when we think about climatology, when we think about uh, water resources and, and the nexus of how these things come together to, in a way that we can address some of the world's most challenging problems, there's just so many things that can be done. And, and not only is there opportunity in the private sector, but 
just through partnerships between the private sector, the public sector, and academia. Those are important for us moving forward. But the private sector has grown significantly in the area of meteorology over the last uh, two to three decades. And with that growth, what has occurred is that there are opportunities to do research in the private sector. That research can be related to observations, numerical weather prediction, to computing, to software development. There's just so much opportunity out there. And what's important is for students and early career professionals to develop those skills that are going to allow them to excel if they're looking at the private sector for future employment. So speaking of the public sector, for those who might not be as familiar with the responsibilities and activities in a private sector job, could you walk us through, in some respects, what a day on the job is like, understanding that your particular job at the moment, uh, you've had only six months or so in, but you've also had extensive experience in the private sector previously. So if you could give us a little bit of insight, that would be a wonderful benefit for our listeners. Sure. And I will say that, you know, kind of a a day in in the life of somebody in the private sector is going to vary a bit depending on what your roles and responsibilities are within that organization. For me, as somebody who is leading aspects of research and development, I'll give you a bit of of what I contend with on a a day-to-day basis. I've been lucky enough to work in companies that are truly global companies. And there are there are benefits to, to that, and then there are a few downsides for, for some people. For me, it's not a, a huge downside. One of those downsides for some is getting up early in the morning and having a meeting at 6 a.m. with somebody who's in Europe. So you're uh, a morning person. <laughs> I, I would say I became a morning person over time. All right. <laughs> so you're, you're smiling right now for our listeners. So he, he's not lying. He's telling the truth. He, he seems to have done okay with becoming a morning person. I, I have um, had to had to make that transition. I was I was the the typical I'll say um, grad student throughout the early part of my career. I love to be up late and I like to work late, uh, but I had to make that transition when I kind of moved into some of these global uh, companies and and so my day usually starts with talking to people in Europe. Um, kind of early in the morning. And some of that is meeting with research teams that might be in Europe, but it also consists of meeting with people who are more focused on the business and just saying, hey, what's uh, what are our priorities right now? What are we doing well? Are there things that we need to address in the short term? And then what are the, our longer term projections and how do we meet those projections? And then those meetings begin to wind down as people uh, in Europe you start to transition into their evening time. And then I begin to focus on teams here in the U.S. and start to have meetings with those teams and making sure that our roadmaps, the work that we're doing in those roadmaps are being achieved. You know, we're meeting our milestones. We're, we're meeting our deliverables. And that's a key part of, of my day. But also what I really love about my job is I get to work not just in these team settings, but in one-on-one settings where I get to develop people. I get to help them understand 
hey, how, how do you want to, what, what's your definition of success and how do you want to get there? Do you want to be a manager or do you want to be an individual contributor and you want to do more software engineering? How can we get you um, the, the courses to develop those skills regardless of where you want to go in life? And that's something that I have really enjoyed as I've worked through the private sector and during my time in all the companies that I've worked for is just really developing people to hit the targets that they're looking to hit as an individual. That's wonderful that you've had a chance to provide mentorship and career growth one-on-one. And I can see that that's such an important part, both for you and I'm sure for those uh, individuals that you've worked with. Could you give us a little bit of insight into what might be the most challenging part of your job, notwithstanding waking up early in the morning? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the most challenging portion of my job. That's a really good question. It is probably really developing the skills that I need to be successful and then balancing uh, interests on a day-to-day basis. And, and what I let me kind of dig into that or pull on that thread just a little bit more. One of the things I encourage people to do, especially in our domain of meteorology is to learn about these different sectors. It's so important to do that. And at the end of the day, regardless of where your role is, I think we all have the same goal. And that is to have an impact on society, a positive impact on those people around us and a positive impact on the world through better forecasting, through better information, through better products, through better services. And for me, one of the challenges is in the private sector, I don't necessarily get to do absolutely everything that I want when it comes to a new product or a new service, because we have to think about it as a business. I can't just go out and write a grant and go do something fun. Uh, and that's something that I really had to learn along the way is that, hey, we are in a business where we're looking to generate revenue and we do want to have that impact on the world and on society. But we need to be very strategic about that. And there are some things that I would, you know, I think would be really fun and interesting to do, but I just can't do them because I need to focus on the broader business strategy. You know, and Inspire, you know, reading a bit about the organization, it sounds like it's a really good fit for you with its partnerships and how it's a global organization. And it, it mentioned that the organization uses one of the world's largest satellite constellations to source, you know, difficult data. So how, how does this data help organizations decrease their environmental footprint? Well, one of the key things that we derive from our constellations is something called radio occultation data. And that data can tell us things like uh, what's the temperature, what's the humidity, what's the pressure in the atmosphere. And when we take those data and we include them in a numerical prediction model, they can improve the forecast of that model. And it's been demonstrated time and time again that radio occultation data have a significant impact on our ability to uh, generate accurate forecast or improved forecast. And then what's really excites me is that through those improved forecast capabilities, we can help 
other companies and help other organizations operate in a much more efficient, effective manner. And through that efficient operations and through those effective operations, those organizations can reduce their own footprint and positively contribute to the future of our planet. So that's just a, a, a small snapshot of one of the things that we do here at Spire that's just really so exciting. And it's just great to be in a field where we can have you know that type of positive impact on the world. Switching gears, Kevin, I'd like to look back with you at your career and ask if there's anything you wish you might have done differently in your career. Not, of course, to make any uh, insinuation that you've made any mistakes or that you actually wish you were in a different place, but just at, maybe there were some decision points that you're happy with, but that could have gone differently or could have led you in a different path. And maybe those would be helpful for someone that is earlier in their career and might come upon those decision points. So if there is anything, I would love to hear about it from you. Yeah, from a career perspective, I have thoroughly enjoyed my career. If you'd asked me 20 years ago, would I be sitting where I am today? I would have laughed at you, most likely. And um, why would you have laughed? I, I just <laughs> like, I, I am... I had never aspired to be the vice president of any organization. Um, you know, I, I always wanted to do things that would have an impact on the world and I would just enjoy it. But, you know, I, I never dreamed of, of being here uh, and helping to run a company like Spire. Um, in terms of what I would do differently in my career, and this probably was a little bit earlier in my career, I, I probably would have diversified myself a little bit more beyond my traditional atmospheric science training. And when I talk about diversifying myself, I, I would have learned how to program beyond Fortran because in today's world, Fortran's a core thing that, that we do from a numerical weather prediction but when we talk about generating products and services, there are so many other languages out there that will help um, facilitate the type of outcomes that we're looking for. The other thing that I would have done is I would have, had I known that I was going to be here, I would have um, invested more in learning about business earlier in my career and really tried to look at how can I leverage my scientific understanding with a more solid business understanding to have an impact earlier in my career? For me, I was lucky because I got put in position where I was able to develop that business understanding. You know, Vaisla had a you know, fantastic program that helped to develop me and allowed me to learn those things along the way. But I would have loved to know that a little bit earlier in my career. It, it, it would have helped me. Um, so those are just a couple of examples of things that I would have done. This kind of diversification of, of knowledge and skills, I think, is something that um, we all should consider. Kevin, could you talk a little bit more about what you mean by the program at Vaisla that allowed you to develop some some business skills that you maybe didn't have when you came into the job? Is this a sort of a academy or a course that they do for their employees? Um, or is it a more uh, personalized 
experience that you went through with a, with a mentor or other peers? Generally, in most organizations, including the, the, the private sector, whether it be Vaisla or the weather company at IBM or Spire, these companies want to develop you and they will put in place programs to help you develop. And since Vaisla was my first private sector role, um, Vaisla had in place a several programs. Uh, they had leadership programs in place to help you, to train you. Uh, help you be a better manager, help you be a better leader. And then they also had business development programs in place, which taught you about the business, taught you about what does it mean to do strategy and how do you do strategy effectively? And then how do you look at the financial numbers as they come out uh, to the market? And what do those numbers mean? So there are some formal programs that companies put in place to develop their employees to help them be in a position to be successful in their roles. Yeah, it sounds like, um, you know, some some advice for early career professionals is to take advantage of those professional development opportunities. You know, since you've worked in a few different sectors, do you have any other advice for individuals looking to establish careers in the private sector? I think the advice that I would have goes to a little bit of what I was getting at earlier is diversifying your background. Communication is essential. It's great to be an excellent scientist and uh, to be able to do great programming. But in the private sector, oftentimes you're talking to customers and you have to know how to translate that science into things that those customers can understand. So, so that communication, whether it be spoken or written, being able to translate science uh, into a language that others can understand is, a, is really important. In addition to that, uh, I noted this, this aspect on the technical side, developing programming skills beyond some of the core languages that we often use within meteorology and atmospheric science. And then in the last five to 10 years, machine learning and artificial intelligence are really taking off in the private sector. So developing those skills is also something that will help you uh, along the way. And then finally, what I would say is really being able to connect your work to society and the problem that you're trying to solve. And, and understanding that. And for me, what's kind of been interesting just in uh, the last couple months, uh, some people know this, some people don't, but my family and I were impacted by the Marshall Fire here in Colorado. And our house was burned. Um, it's still standing, but we lost 95% of our possessions at the end of last year. And this, for me, was a personal experience where I was now an individual being impacted, but I could see the atmospheric conditions on that day, and I could understand um, what the challenges were around this fire that erupted in Colorado. And having kind of my core understanding, and then now being one of those individuals that has been impacted firsthand, 
really understanding that connection when it comes to producing better forecasts and better products and why, why that's so important. That, um, that's an, so important for us as an industry, as a community to understand moving forward. Oh, that must have been so tough. Did you have like zero amount of time to like, you know, just get out of your home and grab whatever you could? Was it that quick? It was it was really quick. Um, I had gone into work that day, um, but then um, I was going to spend about half of the day at work and I came home around noon and I could see the fire had had already started at that point. And within an hour and a half, um, the sheriff was driving through my community telling people, hey, you have to go, you have to leave. And so I opened up a bag, threw a couple pair of jeans in there, some shirts, and I was out the door. Oh, that is tough. I, ha- I have a friend who lives in San Diego and um, the same thing happened to her mother. And unfortunately, in, in, in that situation, Hers was the only house that burned in the entire Mm -hmm. neighborhood. But she literally had like five minutes. They were like, you've got probably five, 10 minutes to grab what you want to grab and then you're going to have to leave. It's sad. It's quick. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for sharing that really personal experience. And I'm glad that your, your family made it out safely. And of course, we wish you and your family the best for your recovery after uh, that event, which by all means, is, is, a, is a traumatic uh, event to live through. Um, however, before we end the podcast, we do like to take a look at the person behind the meteorologist and ask a fun question, a little bit unrelated to meteorology, before we, before we end. So I'd like to uh, take a moment and see what your favorite hobby is. So... It's now my favorite hobby. It's been a hobby for a long time. Uh, I, I once thought I would be a professional, but that didn't work out. And so I had to go into meteorology. Wow. Uh, I'm intrigued, <laughs> Kevin. I'm intrigued. <laughs> uh, I've, I've been a soccer player since I was five years old. And, um, and that's what I continue to do today. Uh, at, at one point, uh, coming out of college, you know, my, my target was to, to be a professional. But uh, that didn't work out, and I ended up in a career that I love. But to this day, I continue to play and um, follow soccer around the world. Oh, that's well, awesome that you can still play. Yes. Wonderful that you can still play. That's that's just as good, um, and you're happy with your career. So thank you so much for sharing, and good luck at your next games for the rest of your life. All right. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. And thanks for, thanks for having me on, on the show. It's been a lot of fun. Well, that's our show for today. Please join us next time, rain or shine. Clear Skies Ahead, Conversations About Careers in Meteorology and Beyond is a podcast by the American Meteorological Society. Our show is produced by Brandon Kroos and edited by Peter Trepke. Technical direction is provided by Peter Killalay. Our theme music is composed and performed by Steve Savoy and the show is hosted by Rex Horner and Kelly Savoy. You can learn more about the show online at www.ametsoc.org slash clear skies and can contact us at skypodcast at ametsoc.org if you have any feedback or would like to become a future guest. 